Good morning, prodigal. Some of you are like, oh no, the day I decide to come to church is the day they talk about money. Um, we're going to get some lights on in a sec, uh, the glories of being uh, a mobile church. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be talking about generosity and more specifically, uh, how God wants to use it uh, to expand his kingdom. And this is something that we've talked about uh, one time before in our 18 months of being a church. And so, yes, you showed up on the day we're talking about money. It's the second time in 80 Sundays uh, that we talk about it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money won't make us happy. Money won't make us happy. Money won't make us happy. And if we say it enough times, maybe we'll actually start to believe it, right? Uh, put your treasure, the things of God, and your heart will follow. It's like a movie when, when like, there's someone in a little boat, and then they catch this oversized, massive fish. And it's like a cartoon. And the as much as you try and reel, you're going where the fish takes you, right? Uh, that's the way it is with our treasure in our hearts. If money is our treasure, our heart is there also. But when we put our treasure not in the things of this world, the things of man, but in the things of God, amazing things happen to our constant desire for more. And God's a really big fish, and he's not going to fit in your boat. And when you put your treasure in him, he takes your heart with it, and you'll never be the same. Money magnifies us. It will reveal our generosity or it will reveal our greed. And you might say, well, I wasn't greedy when I was poor. Yes, you were. We just didn't know it because you were broke. It magnifies us. Where we put our money, it magnifies our priorities. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to be clear here. God is not after your money. He's after your heart, it's just that it just so happens to be in the same place. Let's be honest here. We have all, at one time or another, said that if I could just get out of this season, if I, if I could just pay that off, if I could just get that one thing, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content. No, you won't. Because then there will always be something else. And I know what you're saying right now. No, 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 it'll be different for me. It'll be different for me. Uh, if I just get out of this one thing, then I'll be okay, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. And those are freeing words. There's something freeing about realizing that we will always have problems. I know that sounds weird. But when we come to the realization that, that, that problems to solve, financial strains, that, that will always be there, it frees us from the deception that I'll be okay once I get past this. And it enables us to learn to see the good and beauty in every day. If you postpone being okay, you're never going to be okay. If you postpone your happiness till things get better, you lose the secret of joy, which isn't dependent upon your financial circumstances. If you hold off on enjoying life, you'll never enjoy life. 
It's not the way of Jesus. The Bible gives us some concrete ways to move our hearts away from longing for more money and move towards longing for more of God. Malachi 3 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And I think he did that this morning. Uh, We've gone 18 months as a church without being rained on during our setup. Today was the first exception to that. So thanks, Lord, for those floodgates. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The tithe is a principle that is given throughout scripture. And the word tithe, it's a Christianese kind of word. It means a tenth, a tenth. All that we have comes from God and we give back the first 10% and we live off 90%. And you don't have to give anything to prodigal to belong here. You don't have to give anything to any church to go to heaven. Uh, The average church in America, uh, 10 to 25% of the congregation tithes. These are some pretty radical stats. On average, Christians give 2.5 of their income to churches. During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. Now, there are a lot of reasons why this is the case in most churches, but let's play this out with two fictional people named Phil and Bill. Phil and Bill attend the same church. They hear the same teaching, they read the same Bible, they pray to the same God. So Phil has this conversation between him and God and says, God, I have to get from A to B. This will be on the screens. I have to get from A to B. Uh, financially throughout the course of my life. And I've got responsibilities to pay. I've got cars to pay off. I've got mortgage. I've got uh, college that I got to set aside for. I've got all these requirements and it's hard math. It's a numbers game, God. And I know that you, what you say about generosity and giving, uh, but I've done the numbers and I'm going to need 100% of my earnings to get from A to B. You understand, right, God? Now, Bill sits in the same church. Here's the same teaching. And this is how his conversation with God goes. He says, hey, God, I've got to go from A to B financially. Um, And I've got to do all the things that Phil has to do. Uh, College, retirement, cars, mortgage, etc. And I know math. (laughs) I've run the numbers, but I'm going to take a step of faith and trust that you're going to take care of me uh, to get from A to B on 90% because I'm going to take the first 10% and give to you. God whispers back to Bill and says, I'm not only going to take you to B, but I'll take you to a place called C. And it's this place free from the consumer mindset that holds us captive. And I'll open doors for you and provide for you in ways that you won't even believe. And you'll recite these crazy God provisional stories to your grandkids someday, and they'll be true. Both of these guys have this conversation with God. And here's the thing with Phil and Bill. They both think that the other is an idiot. Phil says, Bill, come on, bro, run the numbers. You're never going to get to B on only 90%. It's math, not spirituality. And Bill says, Phil, come on, bro. You really think you could do this on your own without God's intervention? You're going to keep running this rat race and God's called you to get off the treadmill? Two different approaches, each thinking the other is an idiot. Here's my question for Prodigal Church this morning. What kind of idiot do you want to be? You want to know some next level math? You're not going to find this in trig or calculus. Here's the next level math. 90% with God is more than 100% without it. And the truth is, 
And God says, test me in this. Test me in this. Here's the truth. I just want to be honest with you guys. If you never give 10% of your income away, you're not abandoned by God. He still provides. You'll be fine. But you'll be missing out. Sarah and I made a commitment in our marriage to give at least 10% of our income to the local church. And we want to be the most generous people at our church. We're probably not, but we want to be. And if you haven't given to Prodigal Church and you're worried about what the pastor's going to think about you, don't worry, I won't know. And if you've given lots to Prodigal Church and you're hoping for some kind of extra spiritual blessing from the church staff or from the pastor, guess what? I won't know that either. Uh, I see the bottom line. I see, uh, I see how much is total so that we can pay all of our bills and things like that. We can be good stewards of what God's given us. But we made a commitment that we were going to look at people's giving. We decided that we don't want to see dollar signs. We want to see people. And so just this, two weeks ago, we sent out giving statements. And for those of you who have given to Prodigal over the past couple of years, this radical 18 months that we've existed, I just want to say thank you so much. You have been so incredibly generous, and it has made such an impact. Here's just some of the things that have happened just in 2018. We added an additional six staff members, a second Sunday morning service, a fifth kids' classroom. Our average Sunday morning attendance has grown to over 300 people. 16 people were baptized. We sent nearly $10,000 to Malawi, Africa to support missionaries, resource churches, and help build uh, Thonthway Christian Primary School in Chihuahua Village, which opened last September over 500 students enrolled. Yes, that's great. It's amazing. We sent over $2,000 to Northern California wildfires. We blessed over 4,000 people at our trunk or treat event. Thank you so much for your giving to Prodigal. What a kingdom impact you are making. And a common question that we get about tithing is this. Does my tithe have to be to the local church? Or can I give 10% to other charities or to people or to good deeds? And my answer, which differs from many pastors, is that uh, you can give to anything that furthers the purposes of God, whether that's the local church or not. I think it counts. Um, but that said, I do think it's wise to have a way to filter where we give our money. Uh, not all investments are the same. So here are some questions I think that we should go through on choosing where to give, where to give. Is this our giving filter? First, leadership filter. Um, do the leaders have competence and character? Two is the difference filter. Will it make a difference or will it make an eternal difference? Because not all investments are the same. Number three, involvement filter. Get involved. Uh, wherever you give, it, it's, it's good to just send a check to the Salvation Army. It's better to send a check to the Salvation Army and give away some of your Saturdays to help the poor who are suffering there. And then the God filter, is God speaking to you? We believe that God still speaks. And so if God leads you to give elsewhere, praise God. If God leads you to give here, praise God. My question is then, is God speaking to you? 2 Corinthians 9 says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. Not reluctantly, but not under compulsion. 
So if, if me or any other spiritual leader tries to compel you to give or to tithe, run away. The Greek word here for cheerful is the word hilaros. It's where we get the word hilarious. When we give, it should be out of love and joy, not out of duty or obligation. Uh, the first nine years of my life, I lived in rural Illinois, two hours south of Chicago, uh, and a small little town called Leroy. And in the summers, it was hot, but nobody had a pool. Uh, if you had a pool, you were like country club wealthy back in Illinois. And so when we moved out to California, everybody had pools and stuff. And, uh, and I always saw the high dive, and I, like in movies, and I was like, that's my jam. I know I could jump off that high dive. It'd be great. And so the summer of 1991, we are two years here in California. My parents move us across country. And uh, my mom is probably sick of us at the house for the summer. She decides, I'm going to send you guys to a camp. So she sends me and my twin brother, Peter, to Fresno State's sports camp. And at the end of each day during that week, uh, we got to jump in the pool at Fresno State, and there was a high dive. Uh, I had only saw them on the Olympics. And so to see them there, uh, I remember in the 80s watching Greg Louganis, this famous USA diver, right? And I'm like, I could do that. And, uh, and so here I am seeing this high dive. And so uh, the instructors are like, all right, guys, everybody line up on the, 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 the jumping blocks. And I'm sneaking away to climb the ladder to get on top and jump off the high dive. But before we could jump off the high dive, we had to dive off the blocks and do like a backstroke and a breaststroke and a butterfly and a freestyle. And when all the kids are lining up, I'm trying to sneak away. I didn't want to do the backstroke. I wanted to jump off the high dive like Greg Louganis. So after the first day, the instructor told us we had to race before we had fun. And I felt like I had to do it. So I jump in, and while backstroking, all I can do is see that high dive. Okay? And I'm just along for the ride. I'm not a good backstroker. I was obligated to do it. They made me do it. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to do something else with my time. What you'll discover in life is that nothing great is ever built with the spirit of obligation. If you have been made to do something or you have had to do something, not much will ever come out of that. The only way to get something out of the different strokes of swimming is to be passionate about swimming and swimming faster. I wasn't passionate about that. You know who was? Someone looks exactly like me. My brother Pete didn't care about the high dive. He wanted to win the race. No matter if it was freestyle, breaststroke, butterfly, he didn't have to swim, he got to swim. And you know where that led him? To a swim scholarship at a Division I university, multiple national championships coaching at the NAIA level, and then a, his dream job coaching swimming at his alma mater, head coach Peter Richardson. That's not me. <laughs> he didn't have to. He got to. In life, nothing great is ever built with the spirit of obligation. The only way Prodigal Church will be a place that is life-giving and not life-draining is to have people who are passionate about making this place all it is called to be. If we're going to build a church that's going to reach this community, if we're going to build a church that our kids are going to want to go to and that our grandkids are going to want to go to, we're going to have to move from obligation to opportunity. If we want to bear fruit in the future, we must plant seeds in the present. And our vision is big for Prodigal. 
Spirit of the Lord, help us move out of the obligation and move towards privilege. We reject the spirit of obligation and we search for the discovery of the spirit of generosity as privilege. Peter Rollins tells this fable. There's once a princess who grew up in a kingdom that was ravished by decades of famine, war, and plague. She lived in this dilapidated castle, and one night, the princess, she had a dream. And in this dream, she's walking through the market that lay by the sea, and when a young beggar caught her eye, she turned and looked at the face of the young beggar, but before their eyes could meet, the dream ended and the princess awoke. As the dream faded, a haunting voice arose in her mind that informed her that if she were to ever meet this beggar, he would shower her with riches beyond her wildest dreams. And the dream etched itself so deeply on the princess that she carried the vision deep in her heart until one day, many years later, as she walked through the market, her gaze caught the hold of someone who had visited her in her dreams all those years ago. Without pausing, she ran up to him. She proceeded to relay the whole vision. Never once did he look up, but when the princess finished her story, he reached into an old sack and pulled out a package. Without saying a word, he offered it to the princess and asked her to leave. Once the princess reached her dilapidated castle, she ripped open the package, and sure enough, it was great wealth. Pure gold, precious diamonds. That night, she placed the package in a safe place and went to bed. But her mind was in turmoil, and the long night was sleepless and spent in contemplation. Early the next morning, she arose, retrieved the treasures, went down to the water's edge, and once she summoned all her strength, she threw the riches into the water. After watching the package sink out of sight, she turned and without looking, went back to the young beggar. Finally, she found him sitting in the shade of an old doorway, and the princess approached, held out her hand, and placed it under his chin and demanded he look at her. Then she drew his face towards and she whispered, young man, speak of the wealth which, which allows you to give away such worldly treasures without a moment's thought. In this story, there's a transformation from desire for worldly wealth into a desire for spiritual wealth. Now we're not told what the beggar then told the princess. However, we could perhaps imagine him informing the princess that no response is necessary for the princess's question, tell me, of the wealth you possess which allows you to give away such worldly treasure without a thought could be answered with the words, why the same wealth that has allowed you to give away such worldly treasure without a moment's thought. A transformation of the internal desire. That is where real wealth lies. It's not based on your circumstances. I, I, I read something this morning from one of the missionaries that we support in Malawi, Africa. And he said his wife's phone broke, the tires broke in their car in Africa. Uh, three things within the engine and transmission broke within the car. And he said, we are choosing joy in the midst of frustration. That's the princess and the beggar. I want to invite knowing the band to come up. And I want to close with an email that was sent to me last summer by someone here who attends um, Prodigal Church. And... Uh, I've changed the names uh, and cut them out and places and things like that. Uh, but I want to read to you. It's, it'll be on the screens. Good morning, Pastor John. I know how common it is to get complaints about the service sermon and people in leadership roles. And I immediately liked her. Uh, 
So I always try to call it out when I see the good stuff too. I've worked in ministry as a volunteer and as a staff member of churches, and I've seen so much. I've suffered many church hurts, and to be honest, have been quite devastated personally. With my counselor, I've been working on overcoming PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and working out how I see Christians hurt people. I grew up very legalistically as a homeschool student. I have always felt like the black sheep that wants Christianity to be much simpler, not about our performance or judged for our flaws. I've always felt like an outsider, even in ministry for taking a stand against church politics that leads to more rejection. I want to do what is best for people. I just want to love God and love others. The last 20 years of my life my adult life has shown me that that is not what the church is. With my counselor, I decided to take a sabbatical from church. My relationship with God was still very much on fire, but the hurt caused by people was starting to create a bitterness in my heart towards organized religion. I wanted no part in this anymore. So last summer, I took off a few months from church attendance. You were on my friends list on Facebook because I had heard you speak several years ago to Christian camp. When you started Marketing Prodigal on your Facebook page, I saw it. Everything you posted connected with my heart. It was all about the simple gospel, loving God and loving others. With each and every post, my heart wanted to believe it was possible for a church to focus on this goal. I wanted to believe that I could go to a church with all the other black sheep. I came to the very first kickoff Sunday at Bullard with my husband. I loved it, but I was still cynical, waiting for the legalism, judgment, and political leanings to show through but we are still there and I have not yet been let down. My heart is still healing and last Sunday was no different. I have seen the church tear families apart by the constant demands of church at the expense of family. When I heard that the leadership of Prodigal says God first, family second, church third, broken pieces of my heart came back together. So sorry to be long-winded, but thank you. Thank you for your obedience in starting Prodigal Church. Thank you for doing the right things and simplifying things to love God and love others sincerely. This is why we do what we do. When you greet someone on a Sunday morning, when you greet someone during the meet and greet with Neil Diamond playing in the background, <laughs> this is who you're greeting. Everybody has a story. Everybody has hardships. Everybody is going through scarcity in some way or another. Everyone has hurts, everyone has pains, everyone has suffering. So when you greet, when you shake hands, when you say, I'll pray for you, and you mean it, these are the people we're loving. These are the people we're pointing to Jesus. We all have a story. Father God, I thank you so much for this place. I thank you so much that you are the great giver that you don't call us to something that you yourself haven't already done in giving your son, giving your life for us. Father God, you didn't die on the cross because you were mad. You died on the cross because you were madly in love with every person here, the person who wrote that email, the person who parked and didn't have an umbrella today, the person who cut us off on our way into the parking lot. God, you died for us because you're madly in love with us. And so, God, right now we're going to sing a song called King of My Heart. And, God, I pray that our declaration is not just part of our heart, but it's the whole thing. 
the parts that we've kept from you. God, there's this hold in this grip that we cling to money as if it's the answer. And God, I pray that we would realize that the only way to loosen this grip, the only way to loosen this tight grasp we have on money, thinking that it will solve our problems, is to give it away. And so God, I pray that, that we would be generous, and that we would follow the Spirit's leading. And God, that we would be able to trust that 90% with you is more than 100% with us. So God, be the king of our hearts. Be the king of our bank accounts. Be the king of our wallets. Be the king of our purse. Be the king of our home. Be the king of our family. Be the king of our lives. We love you, God. Thankful for all you've done and are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare that God is the king of our hearts?
God, we thank you that you're good and that there is such a thing as generosity in the midst of scarcity. And so God, help us, help us, our hearts to respond that this is a hard truth. Money's been our God for too long. And so God, we, pr we pray for your Lordship in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat real fast. Uh, we don't normally do this. Normally we kind of dismiss right now, but this week, God has a way of, whatever I'm gonna talk about on Sunday, God has often has a way of me needing to hear it too. And this week was no different. I, I, our, ace, our heater went out this week, and so I'm like, oh, that's a fun expense. Um, I need new tires on my car, and I was like, oh, that's, that's, that was not planned for either. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach our generosity, and here I am. Like, God, help, uh, help us out here. And I remember in my car, and my, and my daughter gets an ear infection, I'm like, okay, thanks, Lord. And so I, I'm, I go to the doctor, and I, I get a prescription, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm driving through the parking lot, and I kind of just pull over, and I go, God, I do this with him sometimes. And it doesn't always work out, but I go, God, I just need you to speak to me through, like, shuffle on my playlist, okay? I've got 4,000 songs on my phone, and so I'm just going to hit shuffle, and Lord, speak to me. And so I hit shuffle, and it, the song that comes on is Footloose. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, Lord. And so I'm like, Footloose? Like, give me something. I mean, I'm the great provider. I've got, I got Christian songs on there too, Lord. Like, throw me a bone. And so then I go, fine. So I start looking at Apple, and I start looking at the lyrics, okay? So I go, if this is what you're saying to me, I'm going to find something. And so I look at it. It's like, so I now i, I got to cut foot loose, uh, foot loose, kick off your Sunday shoes. I'm like, Sunday? That's church. Are you trying to speak to me? And now I'm like, geez, Louise, that's a stretch. And then the next part of the song says Louise. So I'm like... Jeez Louise, Louise, please lose your blues. Everybody cut foot loose. Now, so I turn it up and I'm jamming in my car, like, like driving home, trying to change my demeanor. And is it ridiculous? Yes, yes, that is ridiculous. But I think we could use a little more ridiculousness in our lives, right? Less anxiety, less worry, less stress, more ridiculousness. And so, that's my prayer for us, joyful generosity in all that we do with our time, with our energies, with our resources, with our love. Let's generously go love the world. God bless you. Hope to see you next week. Peace, the Middle East. Bye-bye.